And you're very welcome back. And I have in front of me here the theatre director, Michael Scott. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. And Mary, uh, Mary Weldon, good morning to you as well. Good morning. I'm going to come to you shortly, Mary, because you have a direct, you're a primary source for some of the material that we're going to be talking about this morning, because this is a new play, Michael, um, based on the infamous book, I think it's fair to call it now, in the valley Fairly infamous, of yes. the squinting windows. Uh, it was banned in 1918. And what happened to the author and his family in the Midlands was, was really shocking. And uh, well, tell us about, wh- like, where did you come to uh, happen upon this story? You're, you've been directing plays for... 50 years, I'm, I'm told. More or less, 45 to 50 Must, years. Did you start as a child or something? 11. <laughs> In the Abbey. <laughs> okay. I ended up at the West End when I was 11. Well, tell uh, us, because I don't really, I didn't but, really know much well, about I the original it, it book. starts. it starts with, with, I suppose, my mentor was Phyllis Ryan, who mm. initially suggested I do The Matchmaker back in 1990 yeah. and we did that and then when we had the matchmaker running again in 2021 with Anna and Des and we were doing the world and touring here and there she said you know darling the other thing we should try and do is the valley of the squinting windows <laughs> and I said okay I'll try so I made inquiries and there was just nobody interested it was just the family were not interested in talking the owners the, everybody was just going no 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 so I kind of gave up and then I started working... But you realised there was trouble with this yeah, stuff, that's why. Yeah, and I, I realised there'd been difficulties with the book, but I didn't know the extent of it. So I did a bit of research and eventually Monagar Arts Centre said to me, you know, we would love to do something about this because it's set in Delvin, which is 15 kilometres from here. We'd yeah. love to do something. So in we we began a very slow process of discussing with the rights owners at the time, the book, and... Bit by bit, we also worked with the with the with the book fair in Delvin, which is called the Garadrima Book Fair, mm. and they started to do little bits of readings of the book. And as nobody threw things at anybody or burnt them out anymore, because uh, I had asked Mary McAvoy years ago, would she be involved? And she lives in Delvin. She said, "Jesus, no, I couldn't be." I terrified because of the local trouble. Because of the, because it still amazing resonates yeah. now, um, and that has changed, thank God. So eventually, we started to work on it and. It took a hundred years, a hundred and one years from the date the book was published to actually get it on the stage yeah, as a play. That's incredible. And it begin the play begins with them burning the book. Really? Because it's it's an important moment in time. Mm-hmm. It's a moment where Ireland turns its back on looking at itself. Yes. And refuses to move into the twenty first century because it's it's unlike because the manner in which it it showed an unwillingness in Irish people to view themselves objectively and look at the dark side. Uh, Evan Boland, she was interviewed by Benedict Kiley, made the point that Irish writers years ago only had the British to go to, Mm. but they hadn't themselves had a relationship with Irish readers. Yes. And when Irish readers began to get hold of this book, they went insane. Yeah, and went, so it's 1918. Yeah, and paint the scene for us. The book comes out. Why are they so angry about? They're so angry because this is a time when Ireland wants to be a new nation. It wants Mm. to be forward looking. It wants to be the future. We want to have dancing at the crossroads, and you know, McNamara is painting a picture of small Ireland, miserable Ireland, people who are glowing at the the misfortunes of other people Mm -hmm. and telling the truth about the dark side of the country and nobody wants to see that. It's the opposite of the Gaelic Uh, revival. Let's look at the other people who did it. So the Playboy riots of the Abbey are in 1907. Yeah. The burning of the book is in 1918 when it's published. James Joyce publishes Ulysses in 1922. The Plough and the Star riots are in the Abbey in 1926. So in the first 
30 years of the new decade as Ireland was establishing itself, all of the people who criticise anything to do with Ireland are attacked, burned or leave the country because they're just hated. Yeah. So what happens commenting. to... Who is Brinsley McNamara? Brinsley was a man called John Weldon who was born in Westmeath. His father was the local school teacher and when the book was banned the whole town took against the whole family, not just against Brindley. Mm. And the family effectively, because school teachers were paid by the number of pupils, the parish priest who owned the school closed the school, told all of the people in the town nobody was to go to the school. The family were destitute and Brindley eventually had to rent a house for them, and which he did, in Avoca. He had to completely leave. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the family moved to Avoca. And here's the, the weird, shivery bit. I live in Avoca yeah. and I wrote the play <laughs> on the other side of the river a from where they lived. twist of fate, yeah. yeah. It has changed. So, so Brinsley fate. McNamara was a pen name. He so it was a pen name and he always used it. The Brinsley came from Brinsley Sheridan and the McNamara from another family member. Uh -huh. And he was an actor in the Abbey. Um, he also became the registrar of the National Gallery and he was still reviled. He was there for 35 years and when he retired, they wouldn't give him a pension. Mm -hmm. and only the Yates and a pile of other people intervened on his behalf. Yes. Brinsley was still despised for his criticisms years afterwards. Amazing. So, so John uh, Weldon. John Weldon effectively. Was his real name. And, and you know, and Mary, Mary, Mary Weldon, because I want to bring in about, Mary here. About yes. the effect that had on him. Absolutely. Oh. Mary Weldon. So you have, you are directly connected with yes. the with story, aren't you? Tell us. daughter-in-law. So. And you married, what was his son's? Oliver. He was Oliver, great, great name. Yeah, he was a journalist. <laughs> he was a journalist, okay. Yeah, he was at the Independent, he was at the Irish Press for years, yeah. yeah. What did this uh, whole book and the, the the aftershocks of it have, the effect on the family? Oh, it was dreadful. Brinsley became a very bitter man, very bitter man. But I think the worst part of it all was his mother. Nobody mentions his mother, who was a delicate, quiet lady. And she suddenly bereft of everything. Have no, they've no home because it's taken from them. They've no work because the parish priest fired him. Mm -hmm. And nobody would sell them any groceries in the village. They threw stones at them. They had a gun and shot at them. It was vile what they did. It was shocking. And I mean, how could a parish priest do that to some elderly lady with her family? Nobody mentions her. This is John yeah. Weldon's mum. Yes, this is John Weldon's mother. And so she yeah. also has to, everyone has to leave. Everybody. Yeah. And his sisters. And he had one sister. It was a little backward, you know, and she needed to be looked after. She didn't know what was happening. And they were, Brinsley just hadn't much money himself at the time. But anyway, he managed to get this house mm -hmm. in Avoca, which he rented for them until the day the parents died. And um, his father he used to spend most of his time down in the local hotel. You could see it coming down from mm. the mountain. He's sitting outside yeah. telling yarns to the tourists as they came in. That was his... That did nothing. Can I ask you, when did you get to know the family? Because you, you marry Oliver yeah. uh, Weldon. We were married in 1948. So this is 30 years after the book. And uh, this is still obviously affecting everyone at the time. Oh, yes. Yeah. And he, he did... He, he well, of course, everybody did in those days. He he did drink a lot, you know, mm. and uh, he I don't know he he got very bitter about things. You had to you couldn't mention certain things in the house. Really, he would just flare up. 
you know. Anything to do with the book? And uh, it just left him a different person. How does it end up? How does it? How long does he live? Does he have any he, reckoning? With well, he he rented. Uh, she's his wife, Brinsley's wife, was a school teacher in Quinn, County Clare, and she stayed on there as a school teacher. And he was living, he lived in Waterloo Road, in 47 Waterloo Road. Mm. And um, they would see one another, sort of maybe every few months. Then he did get very ill. He got some sort of typhoid or something from, from water. Yes. I'm not quite sure what it was. And he got very ill and he went down to Quinn. And she looked after him. He was there for a year, but he did a lot of writing when he was there. Mm. Did yeah. he live to see the book sort of... Uh, oh, my goodness. Reemerge. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah. he didn't. No, but I was also looking up at even just the published editions of the novel. Yeah, they, they disappear it, 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 after nineteen. They were actually. Re- it, had it was banned here. It's the seventies, is it, Mary? When it, I think it's the seventies when it reemerges. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My husband, it, it, it my was husband, banned here, and then the only copies were the, the American copies that started ah, to come in. I see, yes. Because, the, like, uh, there was a, one of the people said, you know, you should know better than to take a priest to court. Yes, because. That's there was just no winner. You're not going to win. And, that, that, that was the case. They eff- took an action. Effectively, you know, what's so awful about the book? The book tells the story of small town Ireland. It tells the story of people who are in love of, you know, a, t- a, a teacher who becomes pregnant out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. All of the dark things that you're not supposed to do that Ireland didn't want to see. The, the people in this book would, even the woman, it's about Nan Brennan, should have ended up in a Madeleine home. Yeah. This, it's a dark, dark story of unrelenting, sort of, kind of, of, of attempted love, of sadness, and a kind of the sins of the father coming back on the, on the, sin, on the, on the children. And in a sense, the play opens that up in a different way, because in the play we use four live video cameras. Yeah, I'm interested in 24 this. microphones yeah. and a giant video wall. And the video, the, one of the cameras is Wi-Fi to the screen, so it, it's free and it walks around wirelessly. And it shows you things on stage that you can't see with your naked eye. So, for instance, when Nan is talking to herself in the mirror, the camera looks in the mirror at her talking to us. So you see yes, that on the screen, good. but you can't actually see her yourself. Ah, I see what you mean, yes. And the idea is that this new technology, it's kind of like a hybrid. It's, it's like the way you read a Coca-Cola bottle in any language. Nowadays, we watch screens, we watch our phones. So it's about people watching people, watching people, watching people. Squinting windows. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, in in the show, you can see all of the cast watching the whole show from the side of the stage so that you get this extraordinary picture of of people wanting to have private moments Mm -hmm. and yet they're not private, which is really where we are in our new technologies as well. I'm going to come back to you on the actual story of the book because the story in the book is every bit as fascinating as the bit outside. It is, very. <laughs> I, I, think, I think a mistake they made, though, was taking that action against the parish priest. Because in it those prolonged days, the... In those, yeah. My goodness. They weren't Nobody. going to win. No, 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 and the jury disagreed. I want to ask you, Mary, um, did you have misgivings when you heard that there was going to be a, a, a play and it was going to start in Mullingar and bring it to the gatey and bring all the attention again? Did you have initial yeah, misgivings? A little bit sort of worried about it, you know, that it would <laughs> yeah. be a farcical thing, you know, or something like that, you know. Mm. But uh, because, you know, when Brinsley was in the Abbey, there wasn't a week past that he didn't have a play and they're mostly comedies which was hard to imagine yeah, yeah. for Brinsley because he was the opposite type, you know. Yeah. Very. 
It's incredible it takes a hundred years for the yeah, for the book to become uh, a play. Yeah, but anyway, you know, then they got um, Yeats and the rest of the crowd. They tried to get money together. Mm-hmm. It was called the Weldon Appeal. I have it at home. There was some support for him. And to, yeah. to bring it to a higher court. Oh, I see, yes. Which in, they, they were never going get, to nobody win. Nobody was going to give them money. No. To, to, to Actually, George Bernard Shaw famously turned down supporting it, saying that it was a lost cause, basically. Aha. Uh-huh. He turned out to be completely correct. Yeah. It probably looked mean-spirited at the time to the yeah. other writers. Yeah, no, I mean, all, all of the right. big names of writing at the time supported and signed the thing. Mm. Yeah. To, but it didn't actually get anywhere. I have a lovely message in here. It says, I'm a Delvin native working in the University of Limerick where there's a first edition of the book in our special collections. It was an amazing experience for me to hold and look at this book, uh, which of course I've read, and that's from Eta Richardson. What is the, the Weldon family relationship with Westmeath like today? Well, I don't think people laugh at you know. But there were some very nice people in that there were family called Lenehan's, and actually Brinsley did, yeah, he did a bit of his writing in their home. Ah, so he, he did go you back know, to the other time. Because he was doing it in the schoolhouse. Hmm. Well, that was you know, originally, wasn't it? Yeah, in the school. And then when all this thing blew up, you know. Well, the schoolhouse was closed. Us, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. your, your husband, Oliver, has sadly passed. Uh, yes, nine now. years ago. Nine years ago. Sorry to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so He would have been, he would have loved this. He, he would have loved, loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, um, Mary, Mary's quite surprised when she saw the show because... Oh, it was magnificent. You felt, you felt it was kind of true It was to the book. exactly, exactly. You stuck to the book. And that second part, it was absolutely... Yeah, like Act One is kind of like... amazing. Well, well, setting it up. Setting yeah. it up. And then it gets yes, into the nitty-gritty really part gets, two. Yeah, and yeah. it is a whodunit. I mean... There is. There's a lot of twists and turns. Can you tell us a, a, an overview of the story? Because I haven't actually got into that yet. So we're in the Getty at the beginning of November, just for a week. And it's the story of this woman called Nan Brennan who falls for the local landowner and he seemingly falls for her. In the big house. In the big house. And he puts a ring on her finger. And then it turns out that he brings her to the Shelburne Hotel and dumps her because, in fact, he's had a better proposal from a titled lady. And so she is pregnant. Mm-hmm. And she's at home now, the fallen woman, the church decrying her from the altar and all of that. So she has the baby. And when she has the baby, she is told it has died and is buried in the back garden to hide the shame. And she is sent to England. She goes to England and marries a man and neglects to tell him she had a baby. When they all come back to the village, the village are quick enough to tell him and that destroys them. She does have a, a son with him. John, who she decides should be a priest, which would be an atonement for her sins and bring the family back into ta- power. Because having a priest in the family basically the gives thing. them an, an immense yeah. power and credibility. And help redeem. Yes. And redeems yes. the yes. sin. Yeah. And she, I mean, Nan does every mission that there's going. She prays more than anybody else. She's on her knees. If she's not sewing, she's on her knees in the church. The husband's a useless drunk. And one day, um, her son is not just sent to a school, but to a school in England to be a priest. And one day on the way back, he meets Miles, who is the brother of the man who dumped her. And he says, oh, John, you must come and meet my nephew. And the two of them meet. 
And both of them fall in love with the local school teacher who just arrived. And there's a new love. But one child. of them is a priest, so he can't be in love. Yes. And the other one is in love. And you've given like what sounds like a huge setup of the story, but there are so many twists in this. I tale. can't you give away more. You haven't even spoiled. Yeah. And of course, the other the other nasty element is that there's a woman called Mars in the story, Prendergast, who bribes Nan. Right. Now, she oh do, Nan doesn't know what she's being bribed for, but she knows that Mars knows something. Yeah. And there's also the wonderful postmistress, Mrs. Brannigan, <laughs> who Billy Trainer, I wrote it for her, plays. And Billy, we have two little spaces on the stage. One is, is the, the, the workroom for Nan with her sewing machine, and she spends the whole play sewing. And the other is the postmistress, the post office, and she spends the whole play Steaming open every letter that comes. Right, okay. <laughs> so she's the centre of all the gossip. She is, like she is there for the whole play, steaming open the letters until she springs into action and then she destroys everybody. Yeah. And that is one of the reasons the book, an absolute the book, everybody went insane because the local publican was reading the book to the assembled pub. There was a big funeral in town. They were all having a great time. The local pub this is the read, real life element of the book of the back story. in yeah. 1918 yeah. Yeah. and they're all having a great time having the party and everybody's come back from the funeral and they're all kind of slightly drunk and he's reading it and he gets to page 28 and he discovers himself and the wife are perfectly described uh, yes. not in nice terms he goes apeshit and it's true and that's, it, the, that's yes, the bit that hurts it's isn't true it? yeah, yeah. and he bribes everybody by giving the whole pub free drink to go and get Oh, wow. Brinsley McNamara. And they chased Brinsley with pickaxes, torches, rifles and all, petrol, apparently. Literally. Through three towns. Brinsley escaped with his life that night. Wow. That's right. He, he was incredibly right. brave writing that story, your father-in-law, Mary. And kind yeah. of foolish. He, he was young. He was young. He was young, man. This is his first novel. Mm. Yep. How young was he, actually? He, 28. 26 he when he wrote it and 28 when it was published. Yeah. Young and foolish, but but he told the and truth. He, yes, and he'd been in. Then he was with. That the was his crime. His crime was he told yeah. the truth. Yeah, and yeah. the priest in the book is not well respected, shall we say? And the priest obviously wouldn't like that either. No. Uh, there's nice messages coming in. I saw the play in the Mullingar Art Centre. I thought it was brilliant, says Maria. Uh, someone else saw the premiere of the play as well in Mullingar in 2019. It was put on uh, up, in Mul- up Mullingar, says Mary. So this was kind of, you, you managed to, it was, the plan it was, was to bring this sooner, wasn't it? It was 21 years of the Art Centre ex- mm. existent. Michael D, the president, came down to reopen the place again. And we had a fantastic night. And it was about reclaiming the book. Mm. And... It was extraordinary. So uh, the, the local drama people who had done it were kind of like, kind of going, oh, you know, we've done it. You know, we're just going to be doing it. But I actually did every bit of the book. I was actually, well, yeah. it took me a year to do the adaptation. And, and, and you to kept f- to the language. Yeah, and, and I also, I actually invented my own language, but in the spirit of the way Brinsley wrote. Mm-hmm. Because Brinsley's language in the book does sound quite theatrical because he, he eventually wrote plays. But I discovered as I was working through it that I couldn't copy it. It didn't actually work as a stage language. Okay. So I had to kind of invent a way that the characters would speak and each of them has their own syntax. So the, the upper class characters do not speak with the same set of words that the lower class people. Oh, right. Okay. So they've all got their own, like, you know, something going to how you thought or miss or whatever. Whereas the other people speak in a much more, almost like Oscar Wilde kind of way. I get you. So the way they use language is different. Mm. So that you can tell not only their class by their clothes, but how they actually use language because using language is a very important part of the way Brinsley thought about them and also how the play works. It's a big cast? Yes, there are 
10 professional actors, including a videographer who spends the whole play running around. And she's extraordinary because you don't see her. I mean, she's there all the time, but you don't realise there's an extra person That's in right. every scene. Uh-huh. It's amazing. And it's like the first five minutes you're going, oh, what am I looking at? Am I looking at the screen? Am I looking at the stage? And then you actually start to look at everything and you, you realise you're looking at a new kind of making theatre where mm-hmm. if you don't watch the video with the other elements, you don't get the whole story. So there's 10 professional actors, there's 15 local players, and then there's 10 kids. So there's nearly 40 people oh, by the time right. you put the crew. Enjoy directing them. <laughs> so we've got, we've got seven shows, including two matinees in yeah. the Gaiety, and we do it for three days beforehand in Mullingar Arts Centre. And that's the beginning of November. And you can book on gaietytheatre.ie. Um, it's, it's, it's a difficult uh, thing to do because it's hugely technical. But we also play live music by John Field during the show because he was the kind of the, the composer to go to at the time. At the time. Um, and I felt it was important to find music. There is electronic music in it as well and other stuff and sounds. Mm. But I felt it important to place everything in a time so that although there's no actual real scenery in a conventional sense, I mean, 20 years ago, it would have been done with the Thatch Cottage. It sets us right now, there in a different way. we are looking at it the way we yes. see things. It's like TikTok. It's like watching Snapchat. It's like watching Instagram. The images are there for three seconds mm. and gone. Mary, it was important to to begin this uh, in Mullingar, wasn't it? I mean... Oh, uh, my the, goodness. Uh, yes, yes. It, it, give us the significance of that. Yeah. Well, you know... You're worried about how people are going to take it, you know. But, of course, most of these people are long dead. Long gone. And the present generation would only laugh about it, you know. So yeah. That, well, we laugh know. and also, you know, shudder. Because it's a, it's an Ireland of a particular era. Yeah. And it, it feels within it's, living memory. I mean, it's, it's within your living memory. Oh, yes. And I know people yeah. are kind of wondering, how yeah. have we got someone in the no, studio who's connected? I wasn't there during <laughs> no, bad times. No, it's not the actual thing. But <laughs> for, for during the, the dark periods enough when he was, when Brinsley was obviously brooding over this uh, wrong well, that was done to him. Yeah, well, when I came on the scene in 1948, of course, uh, he was living in Sandy Mount at that mm. stage and his wife had t- retired and they were both living together. So I, I wasn't part of the very bad time bad in his life, true. you know. Yeah. But um, he was an, he was an I mean, extraordinary man. I, I think what's interesting is when Brinsley wrote the book, he claimed that it was like any village. Yeah. The right. problem yes. was... And he gave it a fictional yes. name. He gave it yes. a fictional name, Garrett Drimna. And I mean, it, yeah. it's kind of like, it's, it's got name. the word grim in it and it's sort of okay. almost sounds Irish. But the problem was that he did such very clear portraits of the people of Delvin that the reaction from them is not hugely surprising. Yeah. Now, nobody would have known if they hadn't made a big bang, but because they did suddenly, everybody went, oh, that's whatever. You know, and... He was also in good company for being banned. I mean, there was Kate O'Brien, John Broderick, John McGahern, who oh, yeah, was banned at yeah. the time, yes. and Brian Moore, who eventually went off to Canada and wrote about Ireland for the safety of Canada. Mm. So he kind of, he's in good company. You look at O'Casey, who left the country. I mean, his, he has a weird relationship with O'Casey. When he was the director of the Abbey, and they were doing the Silver Tassie, it was a big <laughs> scandal. That was. Oliver was not nice. Oh, sorry, not Oliver, um... 
Brinsley. Brinsley was not nice about your no. case. He actually <laughs> shot on him, basically. Did, did his career work afterwards? Did he have a, a successful career? Brinsley... Because getting banned was often a good thing for sales eventually. He, he wrote... It? He was an actor for the Abbey. He was the register for the, the, the National Gallery. And he wrote plays years. for the Abbey. And he discovered that if he wrote sort of sad, unpleasant plays, they didn't do so well. So he started writing, as you said, Mary, comedies. all of these comedies. And he actually had to play about the Heffernans, which whenever the Abbey was stuck for business and wasn't doing well, they'd stick it on. Oh, right. And, and it always glory, did well. It was always, it was the go-to <laughs> yeah. play. The Abbey always had a couple of go-to plays and it yeah. was one of the go-to plays. And Loris of Certainty and Mops and Mabel. And so he, he, he tuned his writing to, because he didn't have royalties. He didn't have much money, a miserable salary from the gallery at the time. And he was keeping two families effectively. So he really was struggling financially. Well, so he needed the royalties friends. from the plays. It was his friends that arranged yeah. that, that he would get a, some sort of a pension because he mm. not, they wouldn't give him a pension. Yeah. After 35 years. There's one last message in here. Brinsley would sit and write in my late father's garden, Higginstown in Kilucan. Yep. He often bought eggs for my father, looking forward to the place, the Celine Glynn. The Weldon family must be immensely proud of the fact that it's back in Westmead and there is this now um, uh, reckoning and uh, finally yes, retribution okay. in a way. Yes, absolutely wonderful. It's lovely to see it happen. You know, people, we didn't think that ever would happen, but mm. they they're very nice people. No, not not like. And, and that's why we start the play. The old days are gone. The old days. That's why we start the play of burning the book. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> judgmental Ireland is still alive and well, says this texter, to bring us crashing to earth, but nowhere near the scale of what it once was. But if you wrote a book that identified local characters and you were a local yourself, you'd know about it. But uh, unlikely you'd be burnt uh, and chased down the street, well, you would hope. I did live in, <laughs> I did live in Westmeath in a house where they had they had shot one of the Protestant landowners. Did you really? really? Yeah, on the lawn. Well, on that cheery note. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, the Gaiety Theatre, it's from the 7th to the 11th of November. Tickets are on sale now through Ticketmaster in the usual place. Michael Scott, thank you very much and good luck to you. And a Merry thank Weldon, you. thank you and good morning to you.